Expect a miracle today. Expect a breakthrough in the next few moments. Expect an amazing healing because God is here ready to work in all of us. Amen? Amen. You've just seen the Apostles' Creed. Now, that's not Apollo Creed, (laughs) although that's where they got the name from. Creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And three times in this Apostles' Creed, you hear, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus, his son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because there's a big difference between knowing something or feeling something or thinking something and believing it. How many of us know we should work out? I won't ask if you really do. How many of you know you should eat healthy? But I don't know if you really do or not. Knowing something isn't enough, but there's a sense of believing. And in this moment, we believe that God has something that can radically change our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but in the last couple weeks, I've seen something that I don't always see. It's the moon. It's because it's dark when we get off work. And the moon can be beautiful. You go out there and see this gorgeous light and it's shining so brightly and it fills the sky and there's just something somewhat romantic and beautiful about it. But you know what? I hate to break your impression here, but the moon has no light of its own. It's just reflecting the light of the sun. It's, it's beautiful and it brings light to us, but it do, it's not the source of light. The sun is, and it's the same thing with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is not the source of light. The Bible is. And what we're preaching over the next three weeks is the Bible. But we're using the Apostles' Creed as a springboard to understand because about 100 years after the Apostles were here, People start saying, we need to summarize so people know the truth and know how to be shaped and formed by it. So the Apostles' Creed was written so that we could know the truth. It's sort of like the Reader's Digest version. And for those of you who've gone to college, it's the spark notes. It gives you the summary. And we're going to look at the scriptures using the Apostles' Creed as a springboard. It unites us with millions of people around the world and through the last two centuries of what we believe, what we stand on, what is firm for us. In fact, I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now, and we're going to read a scripture together from Romans chapter 10. This is a truth that I hope will fill our hearts. Let's read it together. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. We confess our belief in God, in the Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do this week, is take the first line of the Apostles' Creed and use it as a pathway to take us to the Scriptures. Let's declare it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Heavenly Father, we ask that in the next moments, you would bring healing. You would bring strength. You would bring insight. You would bring wisdom. You'd bring revelation. And that in the next moments, we would come to know you and experience you in the way you intended. Thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for being here. May you speak to each of our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen Amen and amen. Well, before you're seated, take one finger and point up. Put the other one over your mouth. Turn to somebody and say, He is your, God is your Father.
There's two dimensions that this prayer tells us. Two dimensions that are so vital. First of all, God is our Father. God reveals himself that way in the Old Testament and Jesus himself over 200 times in the New Testament refers to God as Father. That's his favorite declaration. That's part of who God is. And this revelation is intensely personal. What happens is when we understand this revelation of God, we recognize that God longs for an intimate, personal relationship with us. Father, he's like, I want to be your father. I want to care about you and hold you in my heart and share with you in all that you experience. Now, the other part of the Apostles' Creed takes us to a different dimension of who God is. A complimentary one that says, God is almighty. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And this part is where he is infinitely powerful. Not only does he deeply love us and care for us, not only is he very personal intimately, he has all power. And this helps us understand this balance of a God who loves us and cares for us. Now you might be wondering, why do I need to know both of these dimensions of who God is? A great theologian of previous generation, A.W. Tozer, put it this way. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing you will ever think. And here's why. Because the way you see God affects how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see your circumstances. And this is the desire that God would help us to know that. Now, when I look at these two dimensions, the fact that he is intensely personal, this is where I come to know the goodness of God. And that's why we have a statement we say here all the time, God is good and all the time because his goodness as our father is what gives us assurance. But there's another part of that. Not only is he good, he is also great. So God is great. Wait, you guys are a little slow. God is great. And all the time. His greatness is what watches over us. In fact, this love of the Father is so beautifully displayed in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what it says. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Now, in the early church when this was written, 90% of the people couldn't read and the ones who couldn't read probably didn't have a copy of this. They weren't used to reading it. They were used to hearing it. So I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes for a minute and hear this truth. And here's how it goes. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. What great love the Father has lavished on you that you would be called a child of God. And that is what you are. You are his child. He is our father, but he is also the almighty one who has all power, all ability, all knowledge. And with him, nothing is impossible. Now, as I said, Jesus had this favorite way of referring to God as Father. 
And one of the ways he teaches that is when the Sermon on the Mount comes along and he's teaching the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read this. And when I get to the word in blue, okay, you got it? When I get the word in blue, I want you guys to declare it with gusto. Here we go. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen by people. I tell you, all of you with certainty, they have their full reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is hidden and your who sees from the hidden place will reward you. When you're praying, don't say meaningless things like the unbelievers. Some translations say pagans. Don't say meaningless things like the unbelievers do because they think they will be heard by being so wordy. Don't be like them because your knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, this is how you should pray. Our in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. And never bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because if you forgive people their offenses, your heavenly will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their offenses, your will not forgive your offenses. Now in this short passage of teaching us how to pray, Jesus relies on the understanding of the Father. And in fact, he's trying to help us understand here that it's our Father who is in heaven, but he's also wanting his will to be done here on earth. God's always had a dream of a people who would demonstrate here on earth what it's like in heaven. And he wants to demonstrate his goodness here on earth to us and through us. But also in this passage of scripture, it says, our father who art in heaven, there's this presence of God on earth, but there's also this wonderful revelation of God's work in us. Now, this isn't so much about a location, a future destination. This is a current reality. Our Father in the heavens who has this perspective of the heavens. When you get up above, you can see things differently. And part of it is Almighty God says, I want to give you a perspective on how I see you, how I see your circumstances, how I see those around you. And this is a heavenly perspective he's calling us to in this moment. He is a good God. He is a great God. Here's a prayer David prayed in 1 Chronicles. It says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That declares the greatness and the power of God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And Isaiah goes on to say it this way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's saying, I want you to know that I'm with you, but I have a perspective that I want to give to you. And in this prayer, we're praying to the one who has the proximity of the Father. He's close to us, but he also gives us the perspective of the heavens. So he's Father Almighty. He's close, but he brings a greater perspective. The one with all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, who's everywhere, who knows all things. He says, I want to give you my perspective. He's a God who's intimately close, but he's also a God who has all power and knows all things. In this prayer, when he prays, Lord, may your kingdom come, he talks to us about things that can happen here on earth. He can forgive us. He can feed us. He is a God, a father, who intimately holds us close to his heart. But in addition to that, not only does he forgive and feed, he also delivers and provides for us. He's a God who cares about us. He's with us. So one of the things in this parable or this story that Jesus speaks is that he's saying to them, there's two kinds of ways to pray. There's one who says our father, and then there's this pagan or unbeliever way. And so the question is, how do you know if you're praying as a child of God or as an unbeliever? And here's the question. This is how you can figure it out. Why do you think you're being heard when you pray? Why do you think you're being heard when you pray? Why do you think God hears you? If you're a child, you know it because he loves you. He's your Abba, Father, Daddy. As his child, we have this family relationship with him. And because we're accepted, then we can do and ask and call. How many know your kids ask you for stuff in a different way than the neighbor's kids ask you? You know, because you have this relationship. And when I call out to Abba, Father, it's because I know him. I know his heart. I know his love for me. But as an unbeliever, it's a business relationship. That's what this passage is saying. If you perform, you're accepted. And so when God doesn't answer your prayer, you're either angry at God for not answering or you feel guilty. I must not have done something right. I should have done something else. That's a sign you're praying as an unbeliever. We come as a child, not as an unbeliever. We come as a family member, not as a boarder. I don't know how many of you have people boarding in an extra part of your house or another attachment, but your relation with a boarder is different than your child. You know, there's this contractual agreement. You pay your bill, you give me the money, you take care of the place, you maintain it well, and as long as you do that, we're all good. Some of us approach God that way. Well, God, you know, I came to church. I could have done all kinds of things. I could have slept. I could have gone to the game. I could have gone out to eat. I could have gone. And God, I gave, I, I gave some money to your church. And, and God, I prayed. That's a contractual business agreement. That shows I'm not praying as a believer. When I pray as a believer, I come as a child. God, I need you. You come and do your work. When I pray, I don't say, oh God, you know how good she's been. Bless her. No. That's not, that's not, that's a contractual agreement. 
It's not, oh, you know how faithful he's been to serve. Would you heal him? No, that's not the foundation. That's coming as an unbeliever. When we come as a child, it's like, Father, I need your help. I need you. In the story of the prodigal son, there's a, a son who took the inheritance, ran off, wasted it, and finally came to himself and said, I can go back and work for my dad. It'd be a lot better. But here's what happens. He starts back to his dad, and his dad runs with open arms to receive him and said, look, I know you did crazy things and you wasted a bunch of time, but you're my son. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled people, and they're like, I don't know what to do. It's like, he did this and he did this, but he's my son. Or I did this and this and this, but, but she's my mom. There's something about that family relationship that God says, I want you to understand that. Now, let me talk about part of that here. The question is, aren't all of us God's children? Everybody in creation? Well, yes and no, and mostly no. And here's why. There's three things we get from our parents. First of all, they give us our existence. We came from them. A mother and a father had a child and it was us. But we also not only have our existence, we have our resemblance. I mean, sometimes I look and say, oh, I look just like my dad. <laughs> there's a resemblance that happens. And third, there's a relationship. There's an intimacy. There's an identity that comes from a connection with them as our family. And that's what I want to talk about for us with, with God as our father. In one sense, yes, we're all God's children because he created all of us. In that sense, we all have that existence that we all are his. So in one sense, all creation, all humans are God's children. But in another sense, when it comes to resemblance, only Jesus perfectly resembles God. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in that sense, none of us qualify. Because no matter how godly you are, you still got a long way to go. So in one sense, everybody's children. In another sense, none of us are really. But then the third one is this. It's when we make this decision. And in John 1.12, it tells us about that decision. It says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's what happens. There is a sense in which we become his children when we receive him and when we believe. Now, I want to help you out with something here to understand how this works. Because I know as soon as we start talking about Father God, some of us are like, uh-uh. So here's my question. How many of you have ever had a bad experience with a shepherd? Nobody? So Diane and I were missionaries with Youth of the Mission, and for six months we lived in New Zealand. Let me tell you something about New Zealand. There are three million people and 70 million sheep. That's 23 sheep per person. There's a lot of sheep on those two islands everywhere. And while we were there, we lived on a sheep farm with a shepherd. It was really fun, you know, herding the sheep from one paddock to the next, the sheep dogs coming and herding around. It was just, I loved it. In fact, Diane couldn't wait for us to get out of there because she's afraid I'd never, never leave. 
I had such a great experience and a great friendship with the shepherd. In fact, one day he took me out and said, let's grab the sheep. And so we brought them all into the barn and he's like, we're going to shear them today. So he taught me how to take these things and shear all this thick wool off and we put it in these bags. And his wife came and took the bags and she took the, the wool and she made it into yarn and then she knitted me this sweater. I shored the sheep that made the wool for this sweater. It is so cool. And it's 40 years old. I have such a great experience with shepherds. So when I hear in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I think like you, most of us get warm, fuzzy, like, oh, yes, he cares for us. Now, if you had grown up next to a shepherd that was a mean guy, maybe you wouldn't feel that way. Let's go to the next one. How many of you have ever had a bad experience with light? You know, you're driving along and the sun's rising or sitting and you're on the freeway and it's like, oh, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. Or here's the worst one. You're laying in the dentist chair. <laughs> like, couldn't you have given me sunglasses before you shown that thing in my face? I'm like, I'm seeing stars. Or have you ever been out on a deserted road at night and somebody's high beams, which they should have turned off, are just flashing? I mean, anybody had a bad experience with light? And yet, in Psalm 27, when we read, the Lord is my light and my salvation, we don't say, oh, I can't trust God. I had a bad experience with light. No, because we know that that's an image of what he's like. Here's another one. How many of you ever had a bad experience with a rock? <laughs> Earlier this year, my roommate from college and his wife were here visiting from Spain, and we were picking him up at the hotel. And we pulled up, and I got out, and I was standing there waiting for them to come out. And while I was standing there, I looked, and over to my left was a guy on the bench that didn't seem to be in his right mind. He had these wild eyes. And he got up and he was circling around and I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how to navigate this. And I turn and right over here, he picks up this big rock and he throws it. And fortunately I turned in time and hit the back of my head, but it hurt for a couple days. Fortunately he ran after that because I wasn't sure what I was gonna do after he hit me. <laughs> that was not a fun experience with a rock. I also had a not so fun experience with a rock when I was in sixth grade and I ended up paying for the neighbor's window. I did have sort of a bittersweet experience with a rock when I went with one of our pastors and staff members up to Eagle Rock here on the mountain and went rock climbing. I was like nervous. I was worried. I was anxious. I was excited. I was a little fearful. But when I got to the top, I was elated. It was sort of a positive, negative experience with rock. But you know what? Whether I had a negative or positive experience with a rock or not, when I read in Psalm 18:2 that God is the rock of my salvation. I know what that really means. He's the foundation. He's what I can stand on. He's where I can be sure that the foundation that will not move. So whether we had a good experience with a rock or not, or a light or not, or a shepherd or not, we understand that's what God's like. Now I know most of us probably have never had a bad experience with a potter or with a king. 
Scripture says in Isaiah 64 that he's like a potter that shapes us and forms us. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. And whether you've had a positive or negative experience with a potter or king, we don't really think much about that when we think about God shaping us and being over us. Now, maybe if we grew up in the Middle Ages when kings were pretty wicked or in the Old Testament when kings were wicked, maybe we'd have a different thought about God as king. But here's what happens. Those are all images to help us understand what God is really like. And then we come to these images, the image of God as a mother in Isaiah 66. In Luke 15, the image of God as father. But somehow, even though our experiences with shepherds and rocks and light and potters and kings don't affect us, when we start to hear that God's a father, sometimes we can start to shut down inside. Oh, you don't know my dad. You know what he was like? I can't worship a God who's a father. And yet, I can worship a God who's a shepherd and who's light and who's a rock and who's a potter and who's a king. Here's the whole truth. Don't let your experience dictate your perception. Don't let your experience dictate your perception. Maybe you didn't have the best experience with your parents. Maybe your dad was absent or amazing or abusive. Maybe he was more committed to his career than he was to you. Maybe he didn't show up for stuff. But don't let your experience overshadow your perception of who God is. Those are all images that help us understand what God's really like. In Isaiah 66, it says this, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. That's the heart of God toward you. Now, maybe you were left crying in your room for hours. Maybe you hid in the closet and cried because you felt alone, because you were being compared to your siblings and your cousins and your neighbors and the pastor's kid. I don't know what it was for you. But this illustration, this image of God as mothers to show us what God's heart's really like. And then in Matthew 7, we have one of the many images of Father. It says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's a good, good Father. And so the truth here is, how can I make sure I do not let my experience dictate my perception of my Father Almighty? He loves us. He cares for us. And because of that, because he is our father, there's an unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. He loves us just the way we are. He comes to us and he wants to strengthen us and care for us and watch over us. He's a good father who's personal, who loves, forgives, but unconditionally cares for us. Now here's part of the problem. If this is all we know about God, we can end up being very permissive. Well, God doesn't care what I do. I can do anything. He still loves me. I can just live however I want because he loves me. He's my daddy. That's why we need both revelations. We need not only a good father, but we need a great almighty God who in the course of this gives us expected accountability that I have a responsibility to live my life for his glory, to honor him as the great and mighty king, 
Now, we can be too far on this side without that one, and then we become legalist. It's all about what we do and what God expects, and I better do these things. But no, because he loves me and cares for me, I can submit myself to the God with whom anything is, imp- is possible. Here's what I believe the word of the Lord is for this weekend. Don't let your experience color your perception. He is a loving God who loves you, who cares for you, who has had you in his heart since before you were born. And whatever difficulty or dysfunction you faced in your family of origin or lack of it, he says, I am with you. I am for you. I have all power to do what's needed. And that's why we have this statement from the opening line of the Apostles' Creed that reflects, like the moon, the truth of Scripture. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let's say that together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In this moment, we acknowledge, God, I just don't know it. I just don't think it, but I believe You're the father who cares for me, but you're also the mighty God who gives me perspective. And I believe today God wants to bring healing to some of us. We've been holding on to hurt and pain. You know what? No human is perfect. No father or mother ever does it perfectly. There's always something to forgive. But we can't let that hinder what God wants to pour into our hearts. And so in the next few moments, I want you to hear what God says in the scriptures about you. We're going to watch this on the video and hear the word of the Lord. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. 
My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. Nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. Some of you have had a hard time knowing how to approach God because of negative childhood experiences with authorities, with almighty people in your life, or with parents, fathers, and mothers. But today, He wants you to let that go. Don't let your experience dictate your perception. He wants you to know that He's ready with open arms to receive you. There's no sin you've ever committed. There's no mistake you've ever made that's so great that he doesn't run to you as soon as you turn to him. And I believe today some of you need to make that choice to step across the line to return to him. And I'm gonna invite you, if that's your decision today, just to raise your hand so I can pray with you and pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand with me. I'm gonna invite all of you to pray after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And help me to believe and to receive 
you as my Savior. Thank you that you are a good father, and I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give him thanks and praise for his faithfulness. The worship team is coming to lead us in this declaration of I believe, and as we place our belief in God, as we believe in what Jesus has done, as we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, some of you just in this moment need to say, God, I forgive my dad. God, I forgive my mom. I release them. I leave them here right now so I can put my faith and trust in you. Let's worship the Lord together. Somebody shout, Jesus. A little bit louder, say, Jesus. Can you clap your hands with us? I believe there is one salvation, one doorway that leads to life, one redemption, one confession. I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe in the crucifixion. By His blood I have been set free. I believe in the resurrection. Hallelujah, His life is death's defeat.
intimately cares about you. Let's make that first statement from the Apostles of Creed together again. Let's go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I hope that truth fills you. It's not just something you know, but God, I believe. I know who I am and I know who you are. We are looking forward to the next couple of weeks of understanding more fully who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit. We hope you'll be back in the next two weeks for that series. Immediately following service, if you would like prayer, there'll be prayer ministers here in the front as well as in the amphitheater, someone to join with you and agree with you for whatever you're working through right now. And as Pastor Ken and Kurt told us earlier, today we launch our immersive experience in the chapel. It's really cool and you don't want to miss it. Head in there. It's the history of Cathedral, but it's not just about the past. It's about what God has in store for us in the future as well. So make sure you make your way in there to enjoy that. If you or somebody you know needs toys, you can sign up today in the foyer for that. Or if you'd like to be part of blessing people with toys during this season, I would encourage you to go out there and sign up so you can find a way to be a blessing. As was they said in the announcements, you're going to be blessed in these next weeks, and we're praying that you'll be a blessing as well. Let me speak that blessing over you. Lord Jesus, thank you that as your sons and daughters, we're brothers and sisters in you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to fall in love with you more deeply and to care for each other more effectively. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your blessing. And I just pray, Lord, that whatever pain we have from our dads or moms, we would leave it in this room and walk out free today because you're our father. You're the one who loves us. You care about us and you're a good, good father. We go forth in your name, healed, transformed in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week in the Lord.